Welcome to CFRC 101.9 FM and Cellar Door Project's Shortwave Theatre Festival Talkback Series with your host, Mariah Horner, the Shortwave Festival Director. In this fun, informative series, you'll have the opportunity to follow Mariah as she gets the scoop on the behind-the-scenes process of making radio theatre with the artists that have made each Shortwave Theatre Festival play possible. Thank you for joining us today, and don't forget to visit shortwavetheater.com to learn more about our amazing plays and artists, and stay locked into 101.9 FM for the next performance, happening all week long. So welcome, thank you so much for joining us. This is our series of talkbacks in the Shortwave Theatre Festival, brought to you by Cellar Door Project and CFRC, and we are lucky to have with us this morning some of of the artists from Soundcastle, which is the production that you just heard on the radio. So joining us today, we have the amazing Becky, who is the director of the production, Jeremy, who is the sound designer and sonic wizard of this show, and Sarah, our lovely playwright. So thank you all for joining me. Uh, we're going to get started with just some introductions. So we'll start with Jeremy. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your relationship to radio and your relationship to theater and how long you've been making this kind of work in Kingston? Yeah, hi. Uh, so my name is Jeremy Kerr. I'm a sound artist, composer, and musician currently based in Kingston. I uh, studied music at Queen's, uh, graduated now. Uh, I also play in a local band called The Meringues, and I do uh, sound design and occasionally play in pit bands for various productions around town, uh, pretty much uh, exclusively in Kingston, uh, which is just a Fantastic theater company, uh, theater company, pardon me, fantastic theater scene. And uh, I'm fairly new to, um, to radio theater. Well, we're so happy that we got you, Jeremy. It's, I think you're very modest. Maybe you're new to radio theater, but uh, it, was, it was really amazing when you joined this project. I did feel a sense of relief because I had worked with you before in the past, and I think you're a really remarkable sound designer. And, yeah, you know, you just got to fake it till you make it when you switch mediums, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, this, it translates so well, like just uh, the radio theater, it's kind of like, um, what's the word, like a good mixing point between the mediums I've worked in before, because I've done a lot of like uh, sound installations and sound work, uh, while also doing like the sound design for, uh, you know, theater productions. So this is kind of neat in the sense that, you know, I'm basically trying to build a world uh, using these skills I've gathered along the way from two generally fairly different art forms. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so Becky, we can move on, move on to you. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself, Becky, your, your work in Kingston, your experience with radio theater? For sure. For sure. So, um, I've been performing and directing for many years now. It's really weird how time flies, but, uh, I started in Kingston. I grew up here and uh, I did my training locally at Queen's University and then went off to Toronto for a master's in, uh, in arts. And um, since then, I've been kind of performing as well as directing in Toronto, Brockville for a spit. And then we're now we're back in Kingston. So I'm really excited to be back in the Kingston scene and kind of seeing all the new work that's coming up and I, how many talents we have locally. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah. There is a lot of local talent and I don't know very much about the Brockville scene, but I've heard about it through you. And I think 
it's uh it's really nice to to hear all of these other kind of communities smaller than Kingston that are already growing really really you know impressive kind of scenes and Becky and I we've worked together on on the fringe so I know that that you've are also done done a little bit of fringe theater in your day too fringe is a lot of fun and this is like it it's a festival uh this sound piece is part of a festival as well and I think that's what's a lot of fun about these these events is that it's not just one piece you're part of this whole community that comes together and creates um really interesting work right and yeah 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 I find the same thing too so how about you Sarah your experience with theater your experience with radio your favorite garden vegetable whatever whatever's an introduction to Sarah uh green beans um and uh yeah so I come from a pretty creative family and I grew up uh just making a lot of stuff with my sisters and um and listening to a lot of radio theater actually um but uh actually like participating in this is in some ways kind of like my first experience being part of like of an actual theater project that's not just like a skit or um or something on a smaller scale. So I had, uh, yeah, so even script writing itself was a little bit of a newer thing for me. Um, and, uh, but I had this concept and I had, um, I don't know, just experience in other kind of artistic forms that I was able to like, uh, I don't know, really excited to be able to bring it to life and, uh, and be part of this. One of my favorite things about all of our conversations that we've had, Sarah, because Sarah and I have been chatting about this piece since, you know, last November or last December and you can really tell that you've got that creative spirit Sarah because you know I don't know if, if, if anyone who's listening follows us on social media Sarah made these like super cute little plasticine dudes of the the characters that are in the play and I've always found that you kind of thought about this piece as a playwright really three-dimensionally and really like and you can tell in the writing but I also think you can kind of tell in all the other the language of the show, the way you talk about the show, these little other crafty kind of touches that you've added. So I'm so stoked that this is your first time really stepping in and I'm very surprised. <laughs> Thank you. So, so we'll move on to, you know, why this project. And I think kind of, uh, Becky, you touched on it a little bit when you talked about, you know, feeling being a part of a festival and being a part of a collection of works. And I'm curious, Becky, if there's anything else, um, you know, why when we made the call for directors on this project, why, why did you say yes? Yeah, so when I saw the call, I was kind of intrigued and excited and and uh, energized because I thought it would be a great first project if I was chosen um, to be part of after my twins were born. So um, at the time of the call, they were only about eight months, but I was already itching to do something <laughs> as, as the life of, of uh, performance artists. And, and um, I thought it would be such a great way to navigate performance work with a young family at home and that it would afford me the balance of being able to kind of get out of the house with really young ones and uh, I, also the medium itself is just interesting from a directorial standpoint because you really have to hear differently and continually question whether the choices are clear for new listeners because I come at it now from a perspective of listening to it I don't know uh, at least 50 times if not more um, so I have to constantly you know, switch gears in your mind, which is a really different process. And it's, it's just interesting. So, yeah. 
And it's so awesome, you know, because I talked to to the, the dudes from Revolution Has Failed last week, and they kind of had a lot of the similar feelings of, oh, you know, this I, I I wanted to try something new, or I thought this would be a good first project for me at this moment. And one thing that we'll talk about a little bit more later, but I'm curious as a director, Becky, like what did that feeling of wanting to get back in the holster and trying, and I know you've done some, some sound art and, and like audio drama stuff before, but what kind of, did it feel okay to fail? Like why in radio theater was it like, oh, I'll try this new thing. I have two eight month old children and it's a pandemic, but that's fine. Like, I'm curious about like why radio theater kind of, kind of allowed you that opportunity that you're, you're speaking of to jump back in. So, I mean, the pandemic was not around when we started this whole process. So that was, that's, that's a different one. But uh, in terms of being able to start it with a family is um, the fact that the rehearsal period is so different, right? You're not having to meet night after night after night, going through blocking and, and making sure that your actors understand the physical realm as well as their um, acting and performative realm right so um when you take out that one piece it really frees up a lot of time to focus on the other ones um and it it's also just in a way that's um yeah just a little bit more freeing in terms of time um mm -hmm. yes yeah yeah i love that so how about you sarah why this this project appeared on your facebook and you sent the email why'd that happen oh it was like just, I don't know, it's the sign I was waiting for to actually do it. Um, I'd have this idea for, I don't know, five or six years when I was in, in college uh, for my library tech program. And I'd been, I go back and look at some of my old notes uh, from class and I was a terrible note taker. So half of it is doodles about this concept. Uh, the first drawing sketches I made of the characters. Um, but I'm also a very big procrastinator. So I had, I had these, the, the idea of the world that I kind of was falling in love with and starting to figure out who these characters were. But I, um, uh, yeah, there's always so much to do with the world, you know? So I had no particular uh, driving force outside of myself to actually finish it. I had like one or two half-written drafts over the years. And then I, uh, and then I saw this call for local like uh, radio theater uh, scripts and I was like, okay, this is it. I've got to do it. And I had like a deadline, which is perfect. That's what I needed. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it happened and I'm really grateful for that. I love that. I'm exactly the same way Sarah is like, why did this happen? Because there was a date that said it had to happen by. Yeah. I totally, oh, I totally hear that. That's great. I'm very glad. And, you know, I almost, I want to ask you kind of the same question as Becky is like, you know, that one moment when you said, okay, the draft's not finished, but oh, okay, fine. I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. What about the, the medium of radio theater kind of emboldened you to really jump in head first when even your, your drafts weren't finished at that moment? Yeah, I have always like appreciated radio theater because, um, the radio station that my family mostly grew up listening to, or um, that my sisters and I grew up listening to, had a lot of kids um, radio theater uh, programming on it, like every afternoon and every Saturday morning. And um, we didn't watch that much TV growing up. So it was kind of like, yeah, a bigger part of our life. And uh, we sometimes recorded ourselves on cassette tapes or uh, tried podcasting a little bit later in life. And um yeah, so I already did like the medium, but mostly like script writing. It wasn't 
it wasn't like my first art form I was drawn to. There's definitely lots of others. I do more poetry or sculpting. Uh, but then I had this idea about, about characters like broadcasting from, uh, yeah, from like a sound castle, the sound archive that I kind of got from different books that I liked uh, the concept. And, and I just used the story concept had to be in, in an audio format. Um, it just had to be what it was. And I kind of knew that I wouldn't be able to do it that well on my own. So when the opportunity came, it was like, oh, this could actually be realized like closer to how I imagine it than, any, than anything I could. Because um, I do not have the skills to like, uh, to have done this on my own. Um, so just, yeah, the opportunity to collaborate with people on this kind of a project was really exciting. And, uh, yeah, and I'm really happy with how things have come together. I love that. That's so lovely. That was like, oh gosh, part of the reason that I was brave enough to do this was that I knew that I wasn't going to be alone on making it, which I feel like is often the case with with live theater. Of like, I would I would be doing a third of the things I'd be doing if I ever had to do them by myself. So, mm -hmm. so what about you, Jeremy? What about you know you? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you ended up in this process and and why you said yes. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I joined a bit uh, a bit later than uh, everyone else. So just, I actually heard about the project when it was first uh, when they were first looking for sound designers. But just uh, by a sort of stroke of bad luck, I wasn't able to get involved at that time. Uh, but later on, uh, I was uh, approached again, and uh, I I signed on. And uh, the the thing about the uh, the sound castles, it's kind of like uh, the perfect uh, like sound designers play, right? And um, just uh, be having, like, I was interested in uh, radio theater before, and this is just such a, based on the scripts, such a perfect place to start because there's so many, like, different worlds to be created with just, uh, like, the material given, you know? Like, creating the sound castle itself, creating the, uh, the creature at the end. It's, you know, it's almost like... A, like composing, right? You're building a world along with this vision that has been presented to you. And that was kind of a, a huge draw for me to get involved with this. Yes. And I mean, I love that you, you know, you bring up this idea of creating a world with what's presented to you. Cause I don't know if any of the three of you can attest to this, but one of the things I love about this medium is that I've always been a pretty non-hierarchical theater maker. And one of the things I loved about this process was that it really, um, just like Sarah said too, it really kind of forces a pretty lateral kind of collaboration. Whereas, and I, you know, I don't think any artists that we would have hired are the kind of people that would be like, I'm the artistic director, so I'm boss. But I really feel like because this is all such uncharted territory and because of exactly what Jeremy said, like you to create the world as a sound designer for the world to exist in the play at all. So I really like that it kind of evened out the structures of theater making and I think it made for really awesome collaboration so this next segue when we when we started seeking out plays for this um the festival you know one of the questions that we asked playwrights was why this play on radio theater and I think both you and Jeremy have already kind of alluded to that 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 sound castle is kind of a perfect um, a piece for this. And you even said earlier that, you know, it had to be on radio theater. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the play itself and, you know, why does this piece have to be on radio theater? This is first, Sarah. Thank you. I'd missed my name there. Um, 
Yeah, because the whole concept of the story is that you are listening in. I, I kind of like this, I don't know if found footage is the right way to put it, but like, or it's maybe like a vlog, but audio. Um, the idea that it is live, um, you're hearing these people as they encounter this world. And, and the whole point of it being a sound story, being going into a world of archived uh, sound and um, the semi unexplainable, but uh, interesting to explore um, uh, labyrinth and that you get to kind of explore it with them. And it just wouldn't make, yeah, it wouldn't really make sense to do it in any kind of visual media medium. I've thought about that a bit as like, I, I get into like doing some clay animation and just, it wouldn't work the same way. Cause the whole point is uh, that, that, yeah, they're reaching you in the way that they are also exploring. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> I think it makes total sense. So I'm curious, Becky, because I think I totally hear that. They have to be on sound. It has to be on audio drama because listening, it's about, it's about like, you know, imagination and sound. I'm curious, Becky, how did you bring those kinds of considerations to your work as a director here? Yeah, so I mean, Sarah's script is very um, good at describing the sounds too, which helps a lot. <laughs> um, but she also had the flexibility of, you know, um, being able to bring our own imagination to it. And uh, in terms of working with the actors, it was about imagining how they would have been if they were actually walking through the woods, which is a very interesting exercise in in performance um, but then also in conversations with Jeremy later trying to both figure out what that sounds like is is I don't know like what you said before it's it's a really interesting collaboration because I'd be like well what do you think about this and Jeremy would come up with an idea of what that meant and uh, yeah it's 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 a really it's a lot of back and forth and a lot of listening and and opening up your ears rather than eyes, which is, it's fun, yeah. It's so interesting, Becky. I wonder if you appreciate this, but when I interviewed Liam Bidme last week about this work, and, and I said to him, I was like, yeah, it is all about listening. And as a director, what does emphasis on listening do to you? What did Liam say? He was like, well, every actor ever struggles with and needs to learn to listen. And I was like, oh, right. Like we talk about this a lot as directors about what listening on stage does. I'm wondering from your work as a director, like did it change the rehearsal room with Francesca and with Douglas when it was this kind of like hyper listening and they didn't need to move your bodies? I wonder if you can speak a little bit more to what you were talking about earlier about, you know, not needing to be physical and what kind of opens up without having these physicalities. Yeah, well, and that's that's also a challenge, too, because all of our meetings were via um, Google Meet, right? So even if we'd wanted to kind of work with the push and pull of characters physically to kind of get that in our voice, we couldn't. So it was, um, and also the challenge of working through the medium of the delays that come with working online as well. So um, really getting the pacing was interesting, too, because they couldn't hear each other sometimes. It would be delayed. And so working around that as actors, um, I think was a challenge, but a really interesting one to face because yes, they, they did have to listen, but they almost had to listen and start talking at the same time because um, 
of the the echo delay so that they could have that what seemed like a seamless conversation um, with each other when we were doing the rehearsals so um but yeah no it was i think really interesting to um talk about especially after we run a scene and we chat about how they felt it went and and uh what like their objectives and and how that came across and and how pitch and uh their ref the way that they spoke was not necessarily clear without that added body language right so um yeah it was a fascinating process in really taking time to to listen to how the words were presented and and how that reflect in reflects in your mind um and with the characters if that makes any sense whatsoever <laughs> sorry oh, i feel no, like i got intentional so. oh no that makes total sense and it's like you know these are talkbacks right and all like i think i i was just really hoping that i could get this kind of deep dive in to, to the the minds of the artists working on this so it's it's all really awesome becky thank you makes makes a lot of sense to me and i think I, you know, I'm a little bit jealous that I didn't direct one of the shows in this festival because I'm like, I think it would have really changed or really kind of unlocked a corner of my brain with working with actors um, and having them only able to listen and talk to each other. You know, I think it would have been really interesting. So Jeremy, I'm curious, you know, both Becky and uh, Sarah have already alluded to this, but the, the oral... A-U-R-A-L. The audio world building in this piece is remarkable. You painted such a gorgeous kind of audio landscape for the world of Magellan and, and Gidget through this. I'm curious if you could kind of talk about that process and how that process of world building in the audio kind of realm is different when you're working in regular traditional theater versus radio theater. Well, the, uh, I would say the best part and also the biggest challenge is that when you're working in, uh, in radio theater, you're kind of like a set designer as well, right? Yeah. So when you're, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you got to build both the scene that the characters are going to be uh, present in and then also, you know, provide the sounds that you would traditionally do in sound design. And they're like little things you wouldn't normally think about. So, for example, uh, when folks are on the stage acting, right, you, you get that visual spacing as well as just the auditory spacing of them, uh, you know, physically being farther apart on the stage, voices coming from different directions. When you're working in the radio, generally you're going to have a flat, like uh, a flat recording of them talking. So you have to factor in like physically where are the characters in the scene? Does this character need to be, you know, panned off so that they sound like they're farther away? Are they yelling? Are they whispering? Are they uh, in the case of the sound castle speaking like directly into the sound recorder and it's it's kind of a an interesting thing that you might not initially think of just the this idea of like space and where to place the actor's voices oh, uh, oh and i th i think you do great work about space in this piece but sorry continue go ahead just like uh, the, the environments themselves there's also finding that like healthy balance of like uh something that's not too obtrusive obtrusive yeah uh, like you don't want to distract from what the actors are themselves saying but you want to be able to create that world so the listeners can listen in and say hey this you know sounds like a forest this sounds like a large building and uh, you run into situations where like the realistic sound doesn't actually uh, sound like what you imagine in your head uh, it to sound like uh, i know it sounds a bit confusing but uh, becky you might remember when we were doing the initial uh, soundscape when they're walking through the woods 
there was a lot of crickets. And for a few weeks, I kept saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to get something with less crickets, something that sounds more like daytime. But I, I, I went out, you know, into just like the rural areas around town and tried recording. And even during the day, there's all these crickets and bugs. So it doesn't really sound that much different than like a nighttime thing. So you kind of got to fake it in terms of the recording just to get across not necessarily what it actually sounds like, but what will evoke the, you know, image of a specific soundscape to the listener. Oh, I love that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, can, I was going to add on to that. And that's like 100% what I was going to mention was the, the stupid crickets. Um, is that like, you, you really have to not only think about what our reality is, but the preconceptions that are ingrained in people's heads. So when I think cricket, I think nighttime. And then one day I was outside and I kept saying to Jeremy, we had this conversation many times, yeah, crickets is too much. It sounds like night. Yeah, the crickets, we need to do something with crickets. And I was outside one morning with my kids and I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many freaking crickets out. And I was like, okay, well, yeah. Oh, my, my notion is crickets means night. So I think that's really fascinating too, is that um, exactly what Jeremy was talking about is that it's a world but it's like and it's real world in in the sense of the sound castle reality but you know what does society think outdoors during the day sounds like so i think that's a really cool part of it too and i mean how do you be that like that that sherlock holmesy about it right like i'm i'm so amazed by i can imagine both of you standing outside listening to the crickets and being like how many crickets is too many crickets it's the title of this talk back but i'm curious jeremy what this process of world building of trying to you know understand the difference between what we think things sound like and what they really sound like is it different is it a different practice when you're dealing with something that's only audio is it different than your work as a sound designer a musician a composer in in regular theater well, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, the biggest thing with uh, like in-person theaters, you have that visual cue for a lot of sounds. And once again, this is both probably the biggest challenge of doing it over the radio as well as uh, one of the biggest strengths. So like uh, a lot of sounds, like, uh, for example, the creaking ropes, uh, someone might hear that in the recording and be like, I've, I have no idea what this is. Because we're so used to getting that visual feedback on sounds that you know, um, it, it's hard to envision that without having an exact cue, which is why this is kind of funny to say, but in the script, anytime that, you know, you have Gadget and Magellan saying something like, oh no, get out of the elevator. It's very helpful because if you just have all these crashing sounds, otherwise someone might not be able to piece together exactly what's happening. And the other side of that is like with the crickets, some sounds are on the other hand, so iconic and so emblematic of certain settings that I mean we just went over this but you know you got to be careful of those that you're not painting the wrong picture and then uh, the, the sort of strength of this is for things like uh, I'm going to say like the, the jabberwocky the creature at the end like th there's no real world equivalent of what that sounds like so you're really going the other way uh, by creating the sound you are letting the listener paint their own picture which in some ways might be even more effective than having like something visual for them to see because they're, they're really working their own imagination. It's like, uh, like reading almost, right? Like you're not physically seeing a design of some scary monster, but you, you hear this noise and you think, you know, what does this sound like? And naturally in your brain, you're going to like create the most 
probably like one of the most interesting images to yourself that you can. And I think that's, uh, you know, probably the, the most fun aspect of uh, working on this kind of production. And I mean, this, none of this surprises me because Sarah is a big lover of reading. Sarah, do you have anything you, you want to add? Oh, I was going to add, if anybody does have any particular imagination of the Jabberwocky, um, I would love to hear it because I'll need that for the next episode. I love it. I love it. Yes. Yeah, so if you listen to Soundcastle and you see a Jabberwocky, email us at shortwave at cfrc.ca and we will get that information to Sarah. Um, but Sarah, no, like, you know, even hearing Jeremy be like, oh, it's like reading. And then I hear the light bulb go over my head and I'm like, oh, Sarah loves reading. Right. So I'm curious about like, you know, that kind of imagination work of audio seeing world and reading seeing world. Is that something that was kind of an inspiration for you? Or do you see similarities um, with the audio drama and imagination and, and reading and imagination? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, both were a big part of my, my childhood. And, and I, I think I mentioned that like specific, there were some specific books uh, that kind of sparked the idea for me. I was reading a book called Savvy about um, a bunch of like super like this this family that had special talents and one of them was like the grandmother could preserve uh, sound in jars and that was kind of like oh and then I thought about um, the phantom toll booth where there's this sound archive um, that contains every sound within within that world um, and so those kind of together I was starting to uh, it was what kind of gave me the concept. So it definitely was books um, to start with, or, or even just like I, the Chronicles of Narnia is my life. So I'm probably in more ways than I was consciously aware of that like played a part in this, like two kids um, going and exploring a new world kind of feeling. Um, yeah, yeah. So very much so that, that um, opportunity. I also found it like, like different from other kinds of writing projects in that it's so dialogue dependent. So that was kind of what was different from like from books or reading books. Um, and so I actually found it, it helped a lot when I was writing to like read the dialogue out loud. That helped me improve it. Um, and yeah, yeah. So those neat um, to see the differences as well as the similarities. I love it. This is a great segue because I was going to ask Sarah next, which is this is a hard question. And Sarah said, don't like you're going to surprise me. It's a hard one, which is. We kind of answered the why here, why now a little bit of, you know, radio drama specifically, but I'm curious about like why Sound Council in 2020? We all know that Sound, like, you know, when you submitted was 2019 and this year yeah. is a totally different reality, but I'm curious of, you know, engaging with this piece now in the moment that we're in, is there anything in the play that kind of jumps out as exceptionally good advice these days too? Huh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, like as you said, it wasn't specifically foreseen uh, and we did not have 2020 vision, um, as they say. But uh, I feel like certain aspects of the project have been like a blessing for this time. Like the fact that we were able to still go ahead and do it because we could rehearse by Zoom call, because we could um, uh, record it with like very limited people on site. Um, was kind of, yeah, that was, that was kind of kind of great. Um, within the story itself, huh, what's some good advice? <laughs> what shall I dig out some wisdom from, uh, from the story? I think, I guess like the importance of, of friendship. Um, huh. I think you're totally right. It, like, to, to new uh, possibilities, differences, unexpected circumstances. 
Yes, friendship. I love this. Unexpected circumstances. Also, like, imagination as a tool, yeah. I think. And, like, you know, they're really explorers. But even I can imagine, like, kids and families listening to this. And part yeah. of what really warms me is the idea of, like, little kids safely staying in their house, but, like, seeing a whole world in front of them. And that's possible. Yeah. And I think that's, like, Narnia, right? Like, Narnia is, like, everything magical is, it's right at the end of your nose, Right. So I love that. Becky, Jeremy, do you have anything to add about like something in the piece that's specifically good advice these days or kind of jumps out in 2020? Jeremy, go ahead. Uh, Just like the idea of getting through a a scary time with, uh, you know, the people that you care about, like in the most literal sense, they get stuck in this big, you know, cavernous sound castle or something roaming around. But they're in it together and they know that and they know that through their friendship, they can keep going. And I think that's very important, especially right now with everything going on. <laughs> it's like, even though we are more apart than uh, ever, you know, we've got to try to stick together with the people that we care about as much as possible. But while well, social distancing, of course. Oh, I love that. What about you, Becky? Yeah, I was going to jump on that, Jeremy. I think that itself is like a lovely sentiment. Like they face a pretty intense incident and they still are like no let's stick together let's keep going right um but i literally go out for a walk in the woods with one other person in your household (laughs) i'm joking that's my that's my advice (laughs) i mean i don't think it's like i think it's very good advice i think it's connected to what we were just saying of like go out for a walk in the woods and like you never know what you might find Exactly. Right? You know, adventures yeah. around every corner. Yeah. Just, just you should tell people where you're going. Not yes. like them. Not like them. No, no. Definitely be prepared. <laughs> you should tell people where you're going. I love it. Okay, so we only have a little bit more time, but I kind of wanted to shift and get a little bit, um, get a little bit dreamy here with you folks. Which is, you know, I always, I think both uh, Jeremy, I think all three of you brought this up, is that. You know, when the moment of the pandemic hit in March, we were just about to head into rehearsals. Like, I think, like, maybe that weekend or the next weekend, we were just about to get started. And I don't know if it's the same with you you three, but I kind of watched the whole theater sector close, right? Gig down, gig down, gigs down everywhere. Um, And it was kind of a really weird experience for me to realize like oh gosh we can really actually make and show this festival really safely and although I hate to to say that this pandemic is an opportunity because it's not um, at all um, I'm kind of curious about what this like what March was like for you through this process right of you know did it feel like did it feel like uh, something that soothed you that you still had this gig or did it feel, um, did it kind of embolden you to continue to be an artist or, and I'm like, this sounds like I'm totally leading the question, but I'm more kind of asking like, what were the obstacles and the opportunities that were p- presented with the, with the pandemic when we started heading into rehearsal? We'll start with Becky. Yeah. So I think definitely um, at first I was kind of like, oh, okay. Uh, So now I can't meet with my cast in person. Um, Is my cast even going to keep doing this? Are they, are they going to go away because their, their job is, is no longer everyone's home. And, and so there's a lot of like questions around that at the beginning, but then once 
we kind of sat down and really thought about um, how this could be done safely and the shortwave team, um, yourself and Donna and, and everyone was kind of like, yeah, this, this can still happen. We're still going to do this. And, and um, I think just the medium itself really lends itself to being able to be flexible. And suddenly we were doing rehearsals from home and I really miss in-person rehearsals and in-person meetings because it, it forces you to actually do the work. I mean, it's one thing to have a deadline and another thing to actually have a meeting together, scheduled rehearsal now, <laughs> or, or, um, or a, um, not just that, but the studio time post and being able to sit down together as a team. It was just a very different situation and you really had to um, look at your timelines and kind of change it based on that. But uh, it was so lovely that we were still working on a piece that we'd already put time into and be able to continue doing it. It's just the process of getting there changed. Yeah, 100%. So then I'm going to turn part two of this question to Sarah, because I know Sarah, you know, you talked about growing up listening to radio theater. And I'm curious, Sarah, is radio theater the future? Is it the past? What do you think about kind of the future of, of the medium being theater, but also the future of radio theater? Yeah, I think I think there is already like a little bit of a resurgence in that way, at least because people switched where they weren't listening to radio so much. Um, but then there became podcasting or other forms of audio or, or even it switched from there was very little narrative content on on radio. And I see that coming back uh, a little bit in different ways. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but I think it would be great if, if it does continue to go in that direction. And then you'll have to write a sequel. Yeah. I got something tells, Yeah, something tells me you're already writing a sequel. <laughs> it's yeah. already happening. So then part three moves to Jeremy, which is, you know, I had a, a good friend of mine, Miguel, tell me the other day, disruptions themselves are neutral, right? Like, because I'm, I'm struggling with this idea of like, I'm really jazzed about a lot of the art that's come out of the pandemic, but I also feel like a weenie saying that I'm jazzed about it because of how much suffering is also attached. But my friend Miguel said the disruption is neutral. How we behave is, is what's either positive or negative. So I'm kind of curious, like, do you, do you have any dreams for either the, the sound design sector or the theater sector that this disruption could help usher through? Uh, well, I've, uh, as I've sort of touched on a little bit before, uh, I mean, working in the, the sound design for something like a, a radio project like this, it's so much more, uh, or at least it feels a lot more creative on the part of the sound designer. So it might lead to, um, I suppose, you know, more artists having the opportunity, uh, sound artists specifically, to really, you know, be creative and be creators beyond... Um, you know, really following like, you know, a script like bell rings here, character jumps here, that sort of thing. And I think that's a, that is a very powerful thing. Um, and, I you know, I, and I, I think the, the biggest thing though is just, uh, it's something we can keep doing despite the pandemic in a way that we can like all types of artists can continue to be creative. And that's just a, one of the, the few really good things about the, the connected era that we are in is that despite this you know, horrible thing going on that's keeping us apart physically, we can continue to work together you know, through other channels and continue to be creative. 
Oh, that's a beautiful dream, Jeremy. I actually never thought about that. And I would like to carry that with me about how this kind of, you know, I, I do a lot of reading about mutual aid and care and community. And I think that the kind of community that's been shown in the sector and out of the sector um, through this moment of crisis is something that we have to keep. And I think that's kind of connected to what you're just saying about collaboration. So how about you, Sarah? Do you have any sort of dreams and it could be specific to theater but it can also be specific to your life of something that this disruption has illuminated for you that you really want to carry through <sighs> yeah it's actually been for the most part a pretty good experience for me um and kind of learning to kind of to sit just kind of like to sit with god and 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 just not be so caught up in in trying to control things um, that's been probably one of the biggest takeaways, but I'm hoping to, yeah, to carry those kind of things forward and, and I want to keep making things and, uh, and to appreciate more like being able to connect with people and do so intentionally. I love that. I love that. How about you, Becky? Yeah, so I think that this whole process has taught me really to listen differently and I'm hoping I can keep carrying that forward because it's really interesting when you actually take time to listen, truly listen. I mean, we spoke on this earlier, but like listening just to the sounds of the landscape, uh, it's totally different for me now. Um, and I think that that is a good thing, both as an actor, as a director, as just a person, you know? And uh, I hope that, you know, back to what Jeremy was saying too, and in, in terms of all this collaboration and new ways of thinking about theater and thinking about performativity is amazing. I love it. And I think that, you know, if we're all gonna kind of get through this, we need to, like you said, be positive and, and uh, collaborate as best as we can and, and still tell interesting stories, right? Oh, I love that. I love that. That sounds like a really good spot to end on. So I wanna give, uh, the three of you just, you know, a, a brief moment for shameless plug time. If you wanted to shamelessly plug anything, is there anything kind of coming down the pipes? Becky, you've, you've uh, got a very set of cute set of twins, a very beautiful family. So I'm sure winter is going to be a whole new can of worms, but is there anything the three of you wanted to kind of bring into people's radars about things coming up? We can start with Becky. No, this is the project. This is the project. So I have nothing else. Uh, this has been my focus. And other than, you know, being a young family here with uh, some amazing children and watching them grow. So the next one, we'll see what it is. <laughs> I'm sure I'll find a way to rope you into something soon, Becky. Uh, Sarah, how about you? Uh, too many things. Um, but uh, a, a picture book about uh, time travel and checkers called Time Wager uh, that a really talented illustrator working on with me. Um, and uh, well, I don't know, I'll stick with that for now. But I also wanted to briefly like shout out to some of the friends who gave me feedback on the really terrible first early drafts of Soundcastle, um, like Ariel and Christy and my writers group here in town. I was just like, as we were having this interview, I started remembering uh, some of those things and um, how much better it became because of them. That's beautiful. Oh, that's lovely. How about you, Jeremy? Uh, but things will probably be a bit quiet for me for a while, uh, but uh, if you want something to check out, my uh, band, The Meringues, recorded a music video a while ago. It's, we think it's mildly amusing. Um, other than that, uh, 
just working on a few personal things I might put out eventually. Just kind of seeing where everything goes at this point. And I'd just like to give a really uh, quick shout out to uh, Matt Rigalski, who uh, also worked on the sound on this, just for getting me involved with this project. Because uh, as I sort of said earlier, by a stroke of bad luck, I kind of missed it when it was initially happening. So thanks, Matt. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Matt. This is a good shout out to Matt. Matt was a big part of uh, initial kinds of conversations about this show. And Matt also ran an amazing Folly workshop for the festival uh, in December, I think, of last year. That was super fun. It was the first time I'd ever used a Whirly gig. And I feel like it was the first day of the rest of my life. That was amazing. Oh, it was so amazing. It was so amazing. Um, so thank you so much for joining me for this little conversation, Becky, Jeremy, and Sarah. I feel... It's really nice because I feel very warm. I do. I feel really, really warmed about the future and warmed about this show. And I've kind of felt warm about this show since you submitted it, Sarah. And I'm so grateful to have worked with all three of you. And I think you did a really remarkable job. And uh, thank you for joining me in conversation today. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for having thank you. me. Yes. So thank you so much. That was one of our talkbacks for the shortwave Radio Theatre Festival. We got a whole week of stuff coming up. Tune in to CFRC 101.9 every night between 8 and 11, and you've got shows happening. Those were the artists from Soundcastle, written by Sarah Emtaj, directed by Becky Bridger, and sound designed by Jeremy Kerr. 